0: all right, well, come on back, and you could open your uh, Bible to Proverbs 29, and we're going to try and get through 30 today, and then next week we'll do 31, Lord willing. Uh, and um, here's where we're going to go, just so you know, you can read ahead. We're going to do the life of David after this on Wednesday nights. Uh, that You'd start in 1 Samuel 16, probably, right there. We're going to do the life of David and the lessons we can learn through David. I don't know how long... Exactly, we're going to do that for, but we're going to, we're going to do the life of David. And then uh, what's going to happen is when we get done with the book of Genesis, uh, we're going to flip the Old Testament back to this night, of course. Genesis is the Old Testament, but it's on Sunday. We're going to flip it to here. We're going to do Exodus after the life of David, and then we'll continue in the New Testament on Sundays. Okay, so that's where we're headed. Uh, anyway so if you have any questions about that you're welcome to ask me Uh, but here's where we are we're at the conclusion now of this genre of proverb that's short quick pithy uh, memorable so that you do a sermon in just a couple sentences or verses and I'll just remind you look back in chapter 25 verse 1 There's some additional proverbs, apparently, that these men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, gathered up and uh, added on here from 25 through 29. We're going to do 29 really quickly here. And then there's like two, like uh, if you're writing a paper for school or if you're writing a legal brief that you file in court, sometimes in the middle of your document, you say see exhibit A. And then see exhibit B. These are sort of like exhibits that have been attached to the back. That's chapter 30, uh, which is a uh, words of this guy named Agur, who nobody knows who he is. There's a lot of guesses, but uh, no one's definitive on that. And then, of course, the words of King Lemuel, that's in chapter 31, which is a pet name for Solomon uh, through his mom that taught him about you know, the Proverbs 31 woman. So we'll take a look at that next week. We're at the end here, though, of this short, memorable way of writing so that there's a sermon almost in every line. And uh, so we're in 29, and they're going to be familiar themes again. You've heard these throughout all of the Proverbs, but that's cool. You say, well, it's not, you know, organized. Well, Yeah, but remember, these were meant to be read, you know, in the mornings, in the evenings. And so for every day, you get a little sermon on tidbits of life, and you get reminded of them over 29 or 30 chapters here. And so here it comes, chapter 29. How about this one? Uh, We've heard this often throughout the Proverbs. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck... That's stubborn. Who here is stubborn? Raise your hand if you're stubborn. Yes. And stubborn is a form of pride, isn't it? You get your way, I get my way. But listen, he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And boy, uh, this is, can be catastrophic, right? In a person's life, to be stubborn. Why? Because God says he gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. And this is sort of like the whole um, uh, theme or story, if you wanted to, uh, or if I may, of Israel in the Old Testament, isn't it? That they hardened their neck, that they stiffened their neck, that they went and did the things that were right in their own eyes. And lots of the Old Testament is about God working that out Through his people. And then it says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. We've got a whole different topic now. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. Now, we should put this up every political season. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. And this, I think, is telling you that despite what everybody says... I can remember, and I'm not taking shots at this particular president, but I can remember, uh, I guess I was just getting ready to move to Hawaii when the whole Monica Lewinsky thing happened. And I can remember just <laughs> talking to some of my friends who were of that particular party persuasion. and. Them saying to me that, well, I know, but that's, you know, they compartmentalize that stuff. And I I just couldn't believe that people could think that something like that wouldn't matter in your official position as a politician or a leader or anything. But apparently a lot of people do because the Lord puts it in here. And we know throughout the ages, and I'm not picking just on him, there's been a lot throughout the ages that have been in that office that have participated in the same thing. But when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Life's made better when righteous people are in these places of authority. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says it, not me. Uh, But then you go on, and it says... Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice. Maybe we should pipe this in over at the uh, youth group. But whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice, but a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. Of course, right? Uh, People who love wisdom really love and fear the Lord. That's where the beginning of wisdom becomes. They have a reverence and awe. They practice the presence of the Lord. And so they wouldn't be a companion of harlots for those uh, people who love wisdom. And you go on. The king establishes the land by justice, but he received bribes, overthrows it. It's pretty self-explanatory. Again, character matters. And a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And this is interesting because nobody knows, uh, none of the experts know as you read that, who is the he whose feet are in the net, the flatterer or the flattery, if that makes sense. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet, maybe both. The one who, we, we've talked about this in a lot of ways, flattery is just sort of several, uh, on se- several instances can be a form of self-idolization or self-preservation, because you're flattering somebody, whether they needed or not, because you want to, you have this unbelievable desire to be liked, or uh, you want something from somebody and you're scheming, so you flatter, and uh, then there's people who love flattery, whether it's true or not, and instead of deriving their strength and resource and love and worth from the Lord, they get it from all the people who flatter them, and either way, you're spreading a net, or you're in a net, It's a difficult place to be, and an evil man is snared by transgression, or by transgression, an evil man is snared. But the righteous sing and rejoice. I love this one, don't you? I mean, what is it when you become righteous? You become freed up. A new song is put in your heart. You're freed up to sing and to rejoice. You're not snared or bound up anymore. You're you're in a free place that whether the things and circumstances of your life are great or bad or anywhere in between that doesn't matter what matters is you're loved by the one the one who really cares for you the one who can satisfy the one who saved you the one who's paid for your sins and now you are free to open up your heart and life to sing and to rejoice and i don't know about you but You know, even as I entered the church, even before I was saved, I was reluctant to sing and rejoice. I was reluctant to show emotion or to put up my hands, not that you have to put up your hands to be worshiping. But I was, I was reluctant. And the reason why is because I was bound up still. But once the Lord came into my life, and maybe this is the same thing for you, it is the same thing for you. There's this freedom just to let it out. And, and, and to not really care who hears. I mean, you do sort of, if you're off key like me, but, but you know what I'm saying. It's just that freedom to just, it's just you and him. You know, sometimes in here, I look around and I can just tell these, you, you people, it, it, it's us, but it's also you and him, but it's us too. And it's beautiful and it's uh, wonderful. Uh, The righteous consider the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Right people, wise people, uh, think of the oppressed. Scoffers, on the other hand, set a city aflame. Those who strive and bring up strife and argue and scoff and are mean, and I'm talking about the Christians now. That's a little jab, but set a city aflame or can set a a, a sanctuary or a fellowship aflame. But wise men, look what wise men do. Sometimes you know what is really wise, like David, is just to say nothing, just to eat it, just to button the lip and to turn away wrath, diffuse situations to calm people, not that you're a a doormat, no one's saying that, but wise people turn away wrath. That's what the Bible says. And if a wise man contends with a foolish man, here's what a foolish man will do. He'll either rage, get real emotional, angry, or he'll laugh, he'll scoff, he'll make fun because there's no peace. And the bloodthirsty hate the blameless. Why? Because the blameless lives show forth the bloodthirstiness, and expose that person. You know when you go, listen, you go to somewhere and there's some unbelievers there or whatever, and uh, they're making fun or they're being real hard or difficult. Why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit is doing something, and they're feeling something, and they're convicted, and they're lashing out because they don't even know how to handle it, and so to speak. So don't take it so personal. And uh, uh, it it says it right here in the word. A fool vents all his feelings. I'm going to let that just simmer there for a minute. Facebook people. It says that a fool vents all his feelings. Why? But a wise man holds them back. Why? Why? Because once we start venting our feelings, we start feeling free to say everything that's on our minds, and it can be hurtful and hurtful to you and negative, not in some power of positive speaking way, but in a way that can get out of control. And it's foolish, the Bible says, to vent all those feelings. But a wise man, in a meek way, power under control holds them back. If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. Rulers, leaders create a culture of honesty and integrity and truth, not the other way. And the poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Both people need the Lord, poor men and rich men. Uh, Remember, we once uh, were um, dead in our trespasses and sins, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. We're no better in that sense, but that the Lord showed himself to us and we responded to his call and praise God for his grace and mercy. So be careful about how you judge and how I judge the oppressor. Pray for the oppressor and think on the oppressor because guess what? You used to be the oppressor. And the king who judges the poor with truth His throne will be established forever. And obviously, uh, that's a a theme from the ultimate judge, who is Jesus Christ, who is going to rule forever, because there's only one who will do that. But God honors truth and taking care uh, of the oppressed in the realm in which you lead or judge. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. And the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mom, his mother. There is a discipline that needs to happen in kids' life, positive discipline. And remember this, if you're disciplining your kids, or let's say you're not, you're, you're the ultimate helicopter parent, You want or not a helicopter, you're the ultimate uh, uh, friend parent, cool parent, Uh, You're the one who's the buddy with everybody. Uh, Remember this, you're acting like Christ when you're chastening and disciplining your child. And that doesn't mean angry. It just means discipline, training. Because the Bible says, he who he loves, us, he loves his children. Those are the ones he disciplines. He trains, you see. And so don't be afraid as you are a a parent, uh, you know, to discipline your children. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Pretty self-explanatory. Correct your son, he'll give you rest. He'll give delight to your soul. There it is again. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now, most people or many people have a Bible that says, Where there is no vision, the people, what is it? Perish. But the word vision there, and so we talk about um, people, leaders should have a vision, a vision statement. Oh boy, do I love vision statements. But anyway, it's a joke. I need to be better at it, I'm kidding around. But this doesn't mean that sort of vision or vision statement. That word really means revelation. What he's talking about here is God's revelation to man through his pre- the preaching and teaching and hearing, obeying of the word. Don't tune out here. If you're just, you know, saying la, la, la right now, listen in. Because the Bible says where there is no revelation, where there's no teaching, there's no hearing the word, there's no learning, growing, uh, understanding as much as we can. Listen, then the people cast off their restraint. They, in other words, they self-destruct. That's what the Bible says. That's why, at least, you know, and you're sick of hearing it, that's why we're passionate about going through the word. What makes you healthy? God's revelation of his word in the Bible, and you learning and growing in it, and all of us learning and growing in it together, and not just hearing it, but going out and obeying it. And because we don't want to self-destruct. We want to live fully ablaze for him until he comes again. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. We make mistakes. We sin. We uh, ask for forgiveness. We talk to the people we hurt. Yes, but where there's no revelation, there's teaching and hearing of the word, then this can be very harmful. But happy is he and blessed are those who keep the law. It's not just hearing. It's keeping. Get it? That is so important. And a servant won't be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. And many think this is a talk about uh, those you teach or you're responsible for need to be trained too. Of course, we can talk about... Anyway, you be a Berean and look through that, that proverb there. Do you see a man hasty in his words? Who here flies off the handle and just speaks? You're hasty. I'm hasty in my words. I think, or excuse me, I speak before I think. This proverb is asking you to think more before you speak. Be quick to hear and listen and slow to speak, the Bible tells us. There's more hope for a fool than for one who spouts off at the mouth. Hmm. Anyway, that one hits home for me. He who pampers his servant from childhood. Oh, did I skip out of place there? Yeah, I think I did. Anyway, uh, uh, an angry man, verse 22, stirs up strife and a furious man abounds in transgression. No real uh, exposition there. I mean, her explanation sure seems uh, uh, straightforward. An angry man stirs up that strife and it leads to sin. And a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. And you could go back and look in the book of Acts in chapter 12 where King Herod uh, uh, stole the Lord's glory. His pride, and he was brought real low by some insects and the whole shooting match. Are are worms insects? Anyway, uh, Acts chapter 12, you can look, look that up. But the humble in spirit will retain honor. Whoever is partnered with a thief hates his own life. You self-sabotage your life if you go around with a thief. And you say, well, I don't have any bank robbers that I hang with. Well, what about people who cheat on their taxes and they brag about it? What about people who steal from their work or are lazy at work and steal there? What about them? Are they thieving or not? Well, be careful. Remember, if you're close with a friend, you you have the go-ahead to mention that to them, and they have the go-ahead to mention it to you. And you can sharpen one another in those areas. Uh, Whoever's a partner with a thief hates his own life. Don't be a partner with a thief, but help people grow in those areas. Isn't that interesting? He swears to tell the truth, but reveals nothing. And the fear of man, oh, man, do we need to hear this. Who needs to hear this almost every day? The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be really safe. I was listening to one pastor talk about this today. He said this, here are the symptoms of the fear of man. Ready? Insecurity, self-consciousness, in other words, you're always preoccupied with, you know, all of us want to look nice. Nobody's saying that. But we're talking about you're preoccupied with how you look. I, you know, I ate, um, you know, a, a little M&M peanut or, you know, so, whatever. I don't know. I don't have the right clothes. I do have the right clothes. And you're self-conscious. You say half of what you think or you, do, you, you don't say all of what you think for fear of somebody shooting you down. Isn't that interesting? Uh, You live for the approval of others. And on and on and on you go. I mean, insecurity is a big one here. The fear of man brings us there. And in modern society, wow, I put up this amazing post, honey, and only four people liked it. And I looked over and Xander put up something yesterday and 40 people liked it. And people, we laugh, but people are freaking out in heavy ways about this and having, uh, anyway. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Wouldn't it be the amazing prayer for 2024? I, I, this sounds so elementary, but what if we said, let's pray that we would trust God more and more. It sounds so elementary, but there's so many things during the day. You know, you're sitting there, you're, 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 you got the halo on, you've just done day by day by grace. You've looked through, you know, a couple of other devotions. You've read your scriptures for the day, and you just feel like everything's going on. And then, you know, in my case, you know, maybe a, a plaintiff's lawyer calls me and acts like a jerk. In about five seconds, I'm like, oh, man, I'm out of it. <laughs> Or maybe you have something where uh, somebody at work says this or somebody at home has done that or left the lids off or whatever, the toilet seat up. And the next thing you know, uh, you know you're not trusting the Lord. Or maybe a bill comes and you say, Lord, what do you mean? I just, I just prayed this morning. I was up early. I did four chapters. Where'd this bill come from? Why are you doing this to me? And maybe you just prayed the prayer that I prayed or said we should pray. Lord, I want to trust you more and more. Well, guess what? He's sending it to you so that you'll trust him more and more. Or maybe the boss said, you're out of here. Or maybe the doctor said, it's cancer or whatever. To trust him more and more. To prove him more and more. What a way of saying it in that song. But many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Look to the Lord for justice. The judge may do it or the police officer or the di- district attorney or the politician or somebody, the magistrate, but really true justice comes from the Lord. And an unjust man is an abomination and he who is upright in the way is an abomination uh, to the wicked. And there it is again. Your life makes an impact out in the culture. Do you know that? Your life makes a big impact out in the culture. God is using you. You may never see it. God is using you by his spirit as you walk in the spirit and you're doing your work at Lowe's or you're at the classroom or you're uh, wherever you are. I mean, uh, in the hospitals, whatever, wherever you are, God is using you and your life is convicting to those around in a good way. So Praise God for all of you. Well, we get to this, chapter 30. Now we get to exhibit A of the Proverbs. This is an exhibit. This is totally different genre or a way of writing. These aren't the short, pithy, punchy little statements anymore. There's something different. This words of a Agur, his name means gathered. I don't even know what to say. I'm just telling you what it means. Uh, his the only thing we know about this guy is the, what his name means and who, what is the, the name of his dad is. And he's the son of Jacob. These folks aren't in the Bible anywhere else, so we don't know really who they are, which is an interesting thing. Because the exhibits here are an unknown person and King Solomon. And that's a touching thing. Because the thought, we're we're seeing what wisdom does for an unknown person. And I got news for you. I'm not famous. So this applies for me. This is beautiful. There's something here for us, in other words. You can learn this. The the wisdom of, of God is for you, for us, just normal people. Not just kings or Paul or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's for us, too. In an everyday walk with the Lord. And look what he says. It's so beautiful. The words of Agur means gathered. The son of Jacob, his utterance. Uh, there's a. This is a prophetic, apparently. There's an utterance. There's prophecy. This man declared to Ithiel, God is uh, with me. That's what that name means. And yukal means devoured. I have no idea. I'm, I have nothing to tell you other than here's these three guys who are just like you and I. Who are just normal people who show up here in the Bible. And he says, listen to this. Surely I'm more stupid than any man. Uh, in a King James Bible, I think it says base or simple or not very smart. He he recognizes in the Presence of the Lord surely i 'm more stupid than any man, and don 't have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the holy one i didn 't have a big education i didn 't go to Harvard or Yale or Wittenberg that 's a joke that 's where I went okay so or he didn't uh, he didn 't go to seminary, maybe uh, no knowledge of the holy One, but whatever. Just like other people of the Bible. Remember Isaiah? When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, whoa, and he he recognized in his presence who his sinful self was. And there's many uh, uh, examples in in the Bible. And uh, you know this, Jesus even talked about it. That's what makes Agur, I'm sure, a happy person. How do I know Agur is a happy person? Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He says it on the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first thing out of his mouth, Sermon on the Mount wise. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That you're happy when you recognize without the Lord, you're spiritually bankrupt. You go, okay, that's f- great to talk about. But yeah, but what about Tomorrow? You've been a Christian now for 30 years, 20 years, 15 years, 10 years. Do you just coast? Do you just get up and say, okay, well, let's go live and let's go do our thing, Lord. Or do you say, like a goer, Lord, without you, I'm really simple. Like, I need you, man. (laughs) I need your spirit, your power, your resource, your strength, your kindness, your mercy, your love, your patience. I need it to flow in and through me because I know I'm walking into places where I'm not going to be patient and I'm going to be cross and angry about things if if it's up to me. I'm stupid about this, Lord. I need you. That's what he's saying here. And he says, uh, I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended into heaven or descended? I haven't, Agur is saying, but somehow an utterance has come to him and he's uttering these things. It's a prophetic chapter. Somehow the Lord has told him about one who has ascended into heaven. Where did he go first? He descended. Somehow he has Uh, been taught or the Lord has spoken to him about the one who calms the wind and the waters and the waves who has gathered the wind in his fists who has bound the waters in a garment who has established all the ends of the earth I I saw something about the tsunami back in 2011 this week I watched a video of the tsunami in 2011 where was that in uh, where Japan or somewhere, but yeah, whatever. But, you know, you're just sitting there watching it and you're you're going, well, wait a second. You had to rewind it. You're like, the water just looks like it's going to do what it did every other time. And then it just kept coming. And it just annihilated everything. And I was thinking to myself, this verse, who establishes the boundaries of everything here, <laughs> including the the boundaries where the water can come? Unbelievable, but... See, somehow, some way here, Agur, by the Lord, has been told, and it's been given to him, because why am I saying that? Because he says this, who's ascended into heaven or descended, who's gathered the wind in his fist, who's bound the waters in his garment, who's established all the ends of the earth. And then this is astounding. He goes, what is his name? And what is his son's name? Whoa. Hold on now. This is Proverbs, last I checked, this is Old Testament, way before Jesus Christ. This is just some normal Joe, like you and I, that the Lord shows up to, and he appears in the scriptures for all time. And what was one of the prime factors that the Lord would visit this man? Because he knew without the Lord in his life, I mean, my Bible says stupid, it seems harsh, but he knew he was nothing without the Lord. And he needed God and God showed up and gave him this. In fact, said to him, what is his name? What is the one who can do all these things? And what is his son's name? Wow, if you know. There's this longing, this desire to know God and to know God's plan of salvation by sending his son, amazing, right? And it's right here in the Proverbs, if you know. And then it says this, very important for the study of the word. This is a very important verse. Every word of God is pure. Learn that. And by the way, pure, what does pure mean? It means here, tested by fire. Every word of God has been tested, has been tested by fire, it's been tested, it's tested and true. It won't fail. It's strong, it stands up. Nothing can knock it out or knock it away. And also it has this tinge of that word, you know, purity, like pure, like good, like morally good, like, you know, have you ever been reading? uh, I mean, you could be reading some stuff that's literature, right? I don't know, you get a book, you find some book, you get it for Christmas, you think it's just some literature book out of the world, and you st- you start reading it, and you know, it's a classic, and it's wonderful, and all that sort of thing. I-, I-, I told this story about five years ago here at the church. There's this one author I love to read, man. His books are so thrilling. You can't put it down. It's the best stuff you can read, but it's not Christian, and it's usually about Uh, Real events, and I was reading this book one time, and it was about a world fair and a serial killer at the world fair, and it was, it was, well, it was dark. But it was—you're into it, and you're like, "Man, I got to read the next one." And the next page, and all of a sudden, the Lord just spoke to me and said, "You know, really, this is sort of dark." And I'm not putting the kibosh on anything that the Lord's doing for you, but. And I was like, you're right, Lord. And I just put it away and I never finished it. And what I'm saying is the words of (laughs) the world are good and exciting and can lead to good stuff. But ultimately, they're not pure. You get it? But when you get in the Bible, you don't have to worry about that. Even the Song of Solomon. I mean, it's got things in there that are, you know. Talk about the birds and the bees. And so, what I'm saying is, but, but the Bible is pure. And this is important because every word of God is pure, not just some. That's important for this day. Because we believe the Bible is inerrant and that you can trust it, but you can trust every word of the Bible, and you can trust every book of the bible and you and i and we need every book of the bible we laugh in here but you need leviticus like i need leviticus you also need proverbs you need revelation but you need it all you need the whole counsel of god so do i we need the whole counsel of god see because what's interesting about god's word is you can call out and i'm talking about you know calling isn't it c-u-l-l but whatever You can cut out some of the verses and put them up on your refrigerator and that's wonderful and learn those. But see, there's also something to learning it all together. It's it's interesting to know the Bible in a way in which you have this massive overview of the Bible and then also learn the Bible uh, down in the weeds. But also learn the main themes. It's sort of like a symphony. If you just take out the Violins and learn that, well, that's wonderful. Good. But what if you learn the violins and the piano? Then you get, oh, okay, that has more depth to it. You understand it a little more. But now add the horn section and the blah, blah da, and the percussion. And you put it all together and it's amazingly beautiful and complex and yet simple and beautiful. And that's the Word of God. And that's what this is. This is telling us here, every word of God is pure. And we know from the prior verse that God has to reveal himself to man. And the way God has chosen to reveal himself is through his son, you know, by the the nation of Israel, through his son, ultimately, and then now by his word. And if you can only pick and choose his word, where do you stop picking and choosing? Do you believe his word or do you not believe his word? Well, I believe some of it, but the part I don't want to believe, you know, it pertains to my love life or something. That's what most people do. I won't listen to that. God bless you. But so you got all of that. And this is really important. If you believe that every word of God is true. Listen, he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. You go, wait a minute. How do those two verses go together? Because Jesus is the word. You see, and the Bible tells us in Colossians that all knowledge and wisdom is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I believe that's Colossians 2, 3, but check me on that. So Agur knows this. It's incredible. And he says, don't add to his words. In fact, there's, in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, there's an unbelievable warning about adding to his words. Don't do it. Don't subtract. Don't add. You can read about that. It was also found, interestingly enough, in Deuteronomy 4.12, or a, a different type of warning. And remember that 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God breathed. Now, time out here. You all were looking at me, kind of blank stare. That's why we did a class here on why you can trust the Bible. Don't believe that crud. They can say what they want. You can get equipped to learn that the Bible is reliable. What they wrote down is what you're reading. And don't let people tell you different. Were there a couple copious errors? Yeah, there were a couple copious errors. They had nothing to do with theology. Zero. Nothing. But for the most part, when those people, when, 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 when that shepherd boy found those Dead Sea Scrolls and those caves in Qumran, it sealed the deal for us to believe. And if you don't know about the Dead Sea Scrolls and how it impacts how we trust the Bible, study it. It'll really help and help us to trust the Bible. And so you see all that right here. It's interesting right here in the 30th uh, proverb. And then as he tells us, don't add to his words or the words of God, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. L- listen to the th- two things that this man in Proverbs 30 prays. Two things I request of you. Here comes his prayer. Deprive me not before I die. Remove Anything vain or false, that's what he says. Oh, man, that means I can't be sarcastic, I think. No, I don't think so. (laughs) But I think that's true. Remove falsehoods, emptiness, vanity from me, and lies far from me, and give me neither poverty nor riches. What does he mean? He goes on and he kind of tells us what he means. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Give me what I need, in other words. He's praying that God would give him what he needs. Lest I be full and deny you. And isn't that so true? When we're comfortable, we can forget about the Lord, can't we? That's why sometimes the Lord makes us uncomfortable. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And what's really interesting about this man is he admitted When he got to those two extremes, he started acting ungodly. He admitted that. And Paul actually talks about this in the New Testament. Paul said, I had to learn and did learn whether I had a lot or had little. I learned to be content in the Lord. Do you remember this? Isn't that fascinating? Because isn't it so true Uh, When we have things go against us and we don't think we have enough funds or money, whatever. Boy, we can get really wacky. And then the Lord blesses us with whatever, and then we get even wackier. uh, Because then we just coast, isn't that true? And so we see all of that playing out here in Proverbs 30. The same sorts of things that Paul talks about. I believe it's in Philippians. Is it in Philippians chapter four? Is it in chapter four? Oh boy. Okay. I'm on a roll. (laughs) And then he goes on in 10 and he goes, do not malign a servant to his master. Uh, Do not malign a servant to his master. Uh, Don't be so judgy. Look, look over here. I, I think the whole church needs to read this. Not I'm talking about, not just us. Go over to Romans 14, 14, just I want us to look at this don't don't raise your hand, but do you, do you think you can get judgy sometimes? man, I can. here in uh, Romans 14, verse four, who are you to judge another servant? <laughs> Just that <laughs> question pretty harsh. Like, who are you? Who am I to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. We can get really judgy in the church, man. You think so? I think so. And I think the Lord here uh, through this proverb is warning us, don't malign a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be found guilty. No, uh, uh, remember Romans fourteen 4. Don't be so judgy. You don't know everybody's motives. I don't know everybody's motives. Now, this is really interesting. He writes now in numbers. I'm not exactly sure why he does this, but from here to the end of the chapter, he's going to write with numbers in mind. It's the whole uh, theme of the rest of the book. Watch this. There is a generation that curses his father. He's given us four undesirable behaviors or characteristics. Listen, there's a generation that curses its father. Here's this man. Apparently, these two people that he's speaking to may be asking him questions back, and they're contemplating what they've learned in a godly sense, and what they've learned sort of like Solomon did in Ecclesiastes. And here, what he says is there's a generation that curses its father and doesn't bless its mother. And do you know how uh, uh, serious and significant that was in the Old Testament? Oh, it was serious. You could get in a lot of trouble. So being disrespectful, Is inappropriate now listen some people here have had tough fathers or tough mothers or parents and no one here is saying let abuse happen no one's saying that but when you know when you don't get along or see eye to eye you can still respect the position more than you can respect the performance You can still respect the position more than the performance, and certainly that can apply to our parents or our uh, relatives, but it also can apply to politicians, people. No one wants to say yay or amen to that one. But anyway, there's a generation that's pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. So here, he's speaking in force. Disrespectful to parents, people or a generation that's disrespectful to parents, a generation that thinks they're doing good and they're uh, acting filthily. Who? There's a generation with lofty eyes, that's pride, and their eyelids are lifted up, and there's a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. I don't know about you, but in the culture now, in the last five years, come on now, there's this increasing sense that it's okay that anything that goes into your mind can come out of your mouth and you can be respected for it. And when I read this, I go, wait a second. The Lord isn't about that. But off we go, posting. Anyway. And then you get into 15, and there's more numbers. Isn't this interesting? (laughs) What is this guy looking at? That section, he must have observed the culture, and he made these Uh, observations uh, uh, under the inspiration of the Lord. Boy, are they prophetic for today's times. But watch this. Now the leech has two daughters. It's a way, a poetic way of saying, what what do leeches do? Anybody, what? Yeah, they suck blood. Anybody, what's that? The Queen Nile? Nile? What's that? Humphrey Bogart movie? It always freaks me out. They have leeches all over them. But anyway, leeches, blood-sucking things that get on you and suck your blood, right? In fact, back in the uh, uh, founding Father's Day, they thought it was the way to treat people uh, medically. But what do leech do? They just keep wanting to have and have and more and more until there's no blood left, right? And so there are three things that are never satisfied. Four never say enough, starting with the leech, of course, but there's the grave, oh, boy just more and more. people just keep dying and dying and dying and dying and praise the lord we have eternal life but the graves never satisfied in a barren womb and if people here are barren don't feel bad it's just making an observation and we've had many people in here have miraculous things happen and have children or We've had friends that have adopted and fostered and have just been blessed. But he's just making observation here. And then the earth that is not satisfied with water and the fire that says never enough. Listen, <laughs> he's making the observation here and telling these two pupils, the things of the world are never going to make you satisfied. It's almost like he's living in New Testament times, right? Why? Why? Because when you get to the mo- one of the most famous chapters that you know of, John chapter 4, when you get there and the woman at the well comes with Jesus, she starts asking him about stuff. And they, you know, you think, well, Jesus is asking her for a drink. What's a, what a strange thing to do. But Jesus is no dummy. Because they get in a conversation there about the well and drawing water. And she says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water that you're talking about? He he said, oh, man, you want to see evangelism. Read John chapter 4. So perfect. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. There's only satisfaction in Jesus, folks. You know it. I'm preaching to the choir. And yet, I need to trust him more in those areas. There's an old uh, interview with Mick Jagger, and he sang that song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, and he wrote that song, or at least they started performing it, I don't know if he wrote it, very early on in their career, and one of the things he said is, no kidding, he said this, if I'm still singing that song at 30 years old, I'll be dead. He's still singing that song at almost 80 years old, folks. He can't get no satisfaction. The world can't, and... We have the answers, okay, quickly. The eye that mocks his father, the rolling eyes, and scores obedient, scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. Folks, don't roll your eyes at your mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There are three things which are too wonderful to me. And now, isn't this great? He, he, this resonates with me and a lot of you too who love to go outside and walk and talk with the Lord. And here apparently he was doing that and the Lord is showing him some things. And he just says, man, there's just things that are just too wonderful for me. This is beautiful. The way of the eagle in the air. The way of the eagle. The eagle can get up to almost 100 miles per hour, folks. But also... It doesn't have to fly at all in the sense that it glides and it can glide for miles and miles and miles it can go from a hundred to nothing but still stay in the air I mean he must have been observing this and then there's the way of a serpent on a rock how in the world does a serpent get up on a rock with no legs you ever thought about that it's incredible how do they do that well Apparently, he was thinking things like this. And the way of a ship in the middle of the sea. How in the world does a sea, a a ship, I still, I can read about it. I go on Wikipedia and read stuff like that. How does a ship float? I still don't get it. You look at the, you go down to Norfolk and all that, and you see those battleships, and you're like, how in the world does that stay up? That should be at the bottom. And yet it can go all the way, all the way across the world. Uh, in the water. It's amazing. And then it says this, and this is beautiful, and the way of a man with the virgin. And I don't think this is necessarily talking about, you know, sex. It could be, but I think it's talking about two people falling in love. And he observed this, and he said, whoa, God brought this too. Amazing. That two people could love one another and come together and two could become one it's incredible he says and this is the way and then he shifts gear and he's going to talk about another four or or another uh uh, several things i guess Four. Uh, the way of an adulterous woman she eats and wipes her mouth and says i have done no wickedness don't tell me what to do people uh, uh, like that say don't tell me what to do with me or my body. For three things the earth is perturbed. Yes, for four it can't stand or bear up. A servant when he reigns, a fool when he's filled with food, a hateful woman when she's married, and a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. These are all shifts in life that make it very tumultuous for all those who are involved. Uh, and I, I wrote in here, be careful to hear Uh, to be outside of your will. Don't wish for things that, or pray for things that aren't necessarily what what and where God has you. The Bible says, be content with a simple life, working with your hands. Well, we go on. Four things which are little on the earth, but they're exceedingly wise. Ants are people uh, not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. We should be preparing like ants, storing up treasures in heaven. Rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. They hid themselves in the rock. We should be hiding ourselves in the cleft of the rock. Jason, get up here. We're singing Rock of Ages. No, I'm kidding. But, right, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Amen? Hide myself in thee, or whatever. I don't even know the words, but you get it. And the locusts have no king or no leader, and that's true. They don't. Yet they advance in ranks. It's amazing. Uh, how God took these little ones, these little locusts, and they could be so powerful and advanced and moving around and yet have no leader. It's incredible. That's what this guy's saying. And the spider skillfully grasps with its hands and can come in king's palaces. Just these little things. We can't go in a king's palace, but a spider can. Incredible. That's what he's saying. There are three, three, uh, three things which are majestic in pace, Four things which are stately and walk, they roam and they're big, but they're majestic. A lion, which is mighty among the beast and doesn't turn away from any. A greyhound, Helen, the greyhound, a male goat also, and a king whose troops are with him. And one of the things I think this teaches you too is, look, small and wise things are incredible, but so are big and stately things. And there's some people in the world, listen, that God pays attention to and loves who are small, introverted, like to be quiet, stay alone. But God loves them just as much as they loves the big stately ones that prance around and are powerful. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what I think he was noticing here. God pays attention to all of us. And you matter. No matter what your temperament, No matter what your gift, maybe your gift isn't the other gift or the gift that the society values, but you are valued. And that, to me, is powerful. Well, he finishes with this. If you've been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you devised evil, (laughs) Agur says it nicely. I'll say it not nicely. Shut up. That's what it says here. If you've been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you've devised evil, shut up. Gugur says this, put your hand on your mouth. But in other words, don't, you don't always have to talk. You don't always have to say. You don't, you, of, of course, don't, it's foolish to exalt yourself or to devise evil, so be careful with your mouth and close it sometimes. For as the churning of milk produces butter and wringing the nose produces blood, so the forcing of wrath produces strife. It's so good, isn't it? Maybe this is another prayer we pray. We don't have to always be in everybody else's business. We can live a simple life. It's better to hear first and listen than it is to branch out in all your solving of your problems with your mouth or with my mouth. And sometimes it's just better to do that. Well, that's what this normal man learned. What about us as normal women or men? What are we learning and observing? Well, I think the first thing is, as we move forward, it's number one, it's the, or excuse me, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, reverence and awe, practicing his presence. And then the other thing that I think, and it's in a different part of the Old Testament, is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Those are some of the things that I hope we think about as we move forward in 2024. What does it mean to say or to have the scripture, the joy of the Lord is our strength? It doesn't have to be our mouth. It doesn't have to be our biceps. It doesn't have to be our clout. It doesn't have to be our image. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thanks for tonight, and thank you for these oh, wonderful folks and their hearts to serve and to love you and to know your word and to obey it. And so I pray, Lord, that you would bless these joyful saints as they move forward today, tomorrow, further uh, this week. And Lord willing, if you have us come back here, Lord, we may we celebrate your name again on Sunday, sharpen each other up, And go out and share your gospel, which reminds me, on Saturday, Lord willing, we will be doing that. And we pray for um, divine appointments and uh, cultivated hearts. And we pray you'd fill us up so that we're walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.